0: Welcome back if you have joined us from the previous session. On behalf of IFL Home Finance, I am pleased to welcome you to the third Awaaz Per Sambad session being conducted in association with the Ministry of Housing and Urban Affairs. Our co-host for this session is Chitkara University, Chandigarh, for which we thank Professor Kanika Bansam. We at IFL Home Finance are committed towards creating an ecosystem for green affordable housing through our various initiatives and are proud to extend the Government of India's initiative, Avas Par to all of you. Let me now introduce you to the moderator for this session, Mr. Ratha, Chief Executive Officer and Executive Director here at IIFL Home Finance. I would like to first uh, introduce the panelists. It's a very esteemed panelists, uh, which we have got, to uh, discuss the topic uh, on this event. So I'll start with the Professor Kanika Bansal. She is presently working as a professor and deputy dean, of the Chitkara School of Planning and Architecture at Chitkara University. Our second panelist is Mr. Sandeep Virmani. He's again an architect by profession. Then we have the third panelist, Ms. Parna Das. She's an urban planning professional working as a senior advisor with GIZ India. So Parna, I would like to start with you. So you have extensive experience in this domain, and how do you think that indigenous housing technology is relevant to the quality of life of local people? And I would also request you to also pour some light on inclusionary housing as well, because some of your aspects, uh, uh, your views on that, I found them very enlightening. So, Aparna to you, please.
1: Just to get to this point uh, of, you know, uh, Mono, I would say that when we are talking about standardization, there is a kind of an imagination we have that urbanization requires standardization. And the moment we do standardization, it is an exclusionary process. So all the materials that we are excluding, we are also excluding people associated with those those materials. So like if I say that I do not work with mud anymore, that means I am killing the entire mud professionals, you know, who have been doing work with mud. If I say that I do not work with brass anymore and this standardization process as an architect uh, I always questioned that you know why there is a there is such a rush to standardize and who standardizes and uh, then I encountered a schedule of rates that you know it's, it's like a it's like something that you know was for me a fear that one part of your profession is saying you innovate know, do a lot of stuff then everything gets stuck in the schedule of rates and if the material is not listed there then you are not in and it takes years to get listed there so i would say that you know as in other concepts you know our urbanization is very different the foundation of our urbanization is on unorganized sector economy. We are talking about large number of people, large number of skill sets, large proportion, almost 80% of our economy is unorganized. We cannot do this puritan thing that now today we are all urban and we have to behave like that. So standardization process takes a lot of time and we may have to reimagine how are we standardizing. And there, because it's a subcontinent, I think, and the materials are so different like i am just coming back from west bengal rural village and i imagine vuj also and i feel you know that the contrast is extreme you know one is not having a drop of water and another one is having so much of water that is a problem how do you make a standardization in this kind of a built in this kind of a climatic zones and the people and then the people. So my reaction to it is that it is not only the building technologists but it is also the people associated linked with those technologies and these technologies you know many of us would not be even recognizing that as a technology for us it is like some craftsman some laborer someone and that's the way things gets hierarchized and then we start losing our skills yeah so uh, i stop here but i would say that Definitions of what is a technology, what is accepted, what is not accepted, who is deciding those stuff. This is to be discussed in a much more democratic fashion.
0: So, you Kanika, uh, you've been uh, your experience in the built heritage conservation. I'm sure you come from another dimension where built environments of the past, especially of the colonial era. And uh, so could you expand on how your research contributes to the indigenous construction practice and technologies? Because they came, they were not part of our country, but they still learned very quickly and they developed some buildings in a in a different manner. And what is the impact that the organization process has on local construction practices? So after to you Kanika. At the onset, I would
2: like to thank for giving the an opportunity and for giving to college University an opportunity to collaborate. I hope my students will have a Good time listening to all the panelists as the uh, subject of uh, discussion here is a lot of interest to my students i'm looking to learn this because they are the prospective future of architecture of India. so coming on to the subject of interest which is the indigenous construction practices as a part of my research where you rightly mentioned sir that it's the colonial heritage and though there were Europeans by culture, but they came to India and uh, in a way they wanted to have a small England set up here in India and that's why they chose these hill towns to be made coming on from a European or an Indian area and coming and settling into a different regime would mean that they would have some part of their technologies being imported along with them and of course overlap it with what exists in the Uh, set up in which you are trying to establish something. So the research in which I am uh, doing Shimla, uh, the uh, the culture of Shimla, the heritage of Shimla largely talks about the indigenous practices and the local materials which were available there and which were already practiced by the local people. You just mentioned that it's not about practices, it's all about people all these practices, all these technologies emerge out of the needs of the people, emerge out of, you know, the local requirements and the, of course, locally available resources. And all these practices are definitely time-tested. So, how these colonial people walked in, how these people understood the context in which they are going to build and also, Bringing the context from where they originally are is what is commendable and can be seen in a lot of colonial buildings across the hill stations, which lie largely in the modern foothills. So here, we, the typical style of architecture that is prevalent in uh, the hills of Shimla is the puni architecture. So this Kutchuli architecture largely uses uh, stones and uh, timber. The timber becomes the uh, you know structural component and the influence are done by the stones, stone assembly which are there so uh, both these materials were actually locally available materials and were abundantly available and not only you know using these materials but also uh, you know using them to respond to the uh, natural climatic conditions and also to the seismic conditions such that, you know, uh, they become earthquake resistant but also the challenges which these indigenous people took on and if we understand how these colonial people built there was a lot of overlap of the construction technologies and practices which these colonial people did which were already in practice by the local people so uh, the research that I am looking at over here is also extended towards understanding the local knowledge that the people had and how the new construction systems or the new technologies have taken over because of the rapid urbanization and because of the needs of growth and development, because of the population inflation and because of the time lapses. So, the answer to this question would also address how the stakeholders are involved in the process of this development and during the process of this development, how the stakeholders look at these indigenous practices and sort of, uh, you know, incorporate them in the contemporary developments.
0: Now, I would like to ask Mr. Sandeep Irmani, you have built several structures for calamity-prone areas. How do you think these structures can be resilient to? disaster in their respective zones but i would also like to add sir what made you start doing what you started and what triggered you to do it and what keeps you going for 18 years in the same place
3: thank you thank you monu for having me for this uh, conversation nice to have nice to be talking to Kaneka and aparna as well well you know i was part of that generation that was becoming curious about india again and uh, i was fortunate i got a fellowship to Uh, go back to the rural areas to understand how, as an architect, I can be relevant. And uh, uh, so I think late 80s, beginning 90s was a time when professionals were beginning to start re-looking at India because we realized that the, so to speak, uh, modern economies and the market economies were not necessarily flawless. They were beginning to show their shinks and you know in 92 we had the Rio conference in which we realized the mess that we are making with our environment because of the nature of uh, industrialization and economy that we have generated. So uh, the first thing you do is you want to go back to your past and understand was there something relevant there. And so I got this opportunity to be in the rural areas for two years which gave me an understanding of not just uh, how to build, but uh, also how sustainable our our living systems were and still are actually. So, you know, the fact that uh, our modern economies were not able to completely ruin the the Bharat of uh, this country has allowed a lot of knowledge systems to continue to exist. You know, we were uh, a few years ago, we had gone to do uh, the UNESCO heritage sites in Abu Dhabi, the mud buildings of the king. And, uh, you know, I was very confident that uh, and we'll find the artisans and we'll work with them to restore their buildings. But they don't have a single artisan left. They've lost their knowledge systems. Everything is finished. We took 300 artisans from India who work with mud, lived there for three years and helped them restore their UNESCO sites.
0: Thank you, all of you. Uh, thanks a lot. And I think uh, this is something a very interesting uh, conversation and I definitely take some threads out of it. And as an organization we'll make our attempts in this maybe artisans supporting artisans schools or other endeavors we'll surely do that and uh, this uh, session will be available on the ifl home finance youtube page as well and uh, we would like to expect all of you to be there this was a great initiative by the ministry of housing and UN habitat to bring this uh, conversation together where the mandate was you have to go to some schools and you have to uh, go to certain other organizations so so i think starts are more important thoughts are very important and uh, in our own way there was a excerpt in the beginning so we have also published a book with mr shoklal on uh, it's a guide on the sustainable affordable housing we saw that in india sustainable housing is supposed to be very upmarket, uh, like parna was mentioning mud houses is today an upmarket thing <laughs> hopefully it will come down the value chain and uh, but uh, we have done our bit thank you very much and uh, hope to see you all of you again in person sometimes thank you thank you very much